Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back to From the Crow's Nest here live at AOC 2021, the 58th Annual International Symposium and Convention. I am here with my next guest, Lieutenant General Clinton Hynope. Uh, before I introduce uh, him, I want to thank our episode sponsor, Enritsu, for all of our episodes today. Enritsu offers new ideas and technologies to go beyond conventional testing and add increased value and innovation. Their complete solutions are designed to meet your ever-changing market needs. Learn more at Enritsu.com. Enritsu, beyond testing, beyond limits. All right, my guest this morning is our keynote speaker on for day three here at AOC 2021. He is Lieutenant General Clinton Hynote, Deputy Chief of Staff for Strategy, Integration, and Requirements with the United States Air Force. General Hynote, thanks for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. Hey, Ken, I'm so happy to be here. I had such a good morning being able to come and talk with the uh, the, the association and, and uh, especially on the main stage. And it's just really awesome. I'm sitting here looking at all of the things that uh, that are happening on the exhibition floor. It's just a great place to be. So thanks for allowing me to be here. You're, you're, you're welcome. And there is a great deal of energy here. And, and I was so excited. I actually got to hear your keynote presentation this morning, um, which doesn't always happen when you're here you know, doing podcasts. So uh, I wanted to, th- we have a lot to cover. Uh, you know, we're going to fly through it, but I would, just want to kind of start off easy. You, 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 uh, what was your main message? You had several pillars that you wanted to hit on. So I wanted to kind of tie it back. Obviously, you said something very important about all domain operations, which is our theme here. Uh, what was your main message to the audience? No, I, I, so there's so many things I could uh, get into. And of course, uh, we went all over the place in the keynote. But the big thing that I think I'd like people to take away is as we think about the advantage that we have to build and, and in many ways build back uh, regarding our warfighting capability versus our worthy rival. And I made the case that we have a worthy rival now in China. And that's not necessarily a bad thing for us. They studied us. They did things that mitigate our advantage. And now we have to build that advantage back. I think that lies in joint all domain operations. I think we have to bring all the domains together. We have to use each the strengths of each domain in in ways that make our enemy not be able to counter. And and the thing that brings it together is the thing that the association is focusing on. And it's the idea of how do we use the electromagnetic spectrum? And then how do we deny its use to our worthy rival so that we can be a worthy rival to their worthy rival? And so the the big thing that I really wanted to talk about today 
was just one, say thank you so much to the association for their advocacy, for what they're doing inside of this space, and then to be able to say it's really important. Uh, we, we have got to be able to get this right, and in many ways we're building back, and so this uh, we got to bring it all together. And Because EMSO, Electromagnetic Spectrum Oper Operations, does underpin so much. If you don't have that, if you can't achieve that and sustain that from the beginning, um, it it, it, it makes it almost impossible to have success across all the other domains. Right, the, you know, the, very true. And so much, in fact, so, much, so many of the young leaders that I see walking the floor right now, they spend their entire day, every day, thinking about how can we be able to use the electromagnetic spectrum and deny its use to others. You know, one of the things I challenged the group this morning in was the idea that maybe it's enough. And in fact, maybe in certain spaces, certain times, it's enough to deny the use of the electromagnetic spectrum to both sides. Uh, ma mainly create what, what in the physical world we used to call a no man's land. So in between the trenches in World War One, there was nobody that controlled the, the, the land in between. And, uh, and when you're on the defense, that's a good thing. Uh, when you're on the offense, it's a really bad thing. We are generally on the strategic defense. We're protecting our allies. We're protecting our partners from aggression. That aggression could come from these worthy rivals that we have. And we've got to be able to create those zones of denial. Uh, and a way to do it is created in the electromagnetic spectrum because they need it like we do. And, uh, and so if we can also think about like, like us being able to use it well, and you see all the different ideas about how to do that here on the exhibition floor, but also how can we do our best to deny it? And, and if we have to create a mutually denied space, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. So I was trying to challenge us to think a little bit differently about this idea of maneuver in the electromagnetic spectrum. So, And, and one of the themes that we've talked about in some of the other podcast episodes is this uh, need to become comfortable with being unfamiliar yes. with how we do things because it, we do have to, when you, you can go through technology, you can go through international partnerships, uh, you know, the, 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 the STEM outreach, mm -hmm. um, our young war fighters, like we, we have to have become unfamiliar mm -hmm. and be comfortable with that and accept a little bit of risk. And, and I think a lot of your comments today kind of drove home that, that need to be, to think outside the box, be a little bit unfamiliar and be okay with that because that opens up the aperture a little bit to what you can possibly accomplish. No, I think that's so true. You know, one of the things I really like about the association is the focus on young leaders and building that STEM expertise and, and really opening up this world to young people who may not be thinking that this is where they'd want, like to spend their time. And I see that. I, I, I see some of the young people walking around and I'm really excited about what uh, what that looks like. So. The, the idea of being uncomfortable with change, you know, that's a human condition. And it's part of, uh, of the world that we live in right now. Certainly we see change as being a, it's change is happening to us and then we have the ability to control what change we do. We think that because the environment is changing, we have to change. A lot of that is uncomfortable. And I'll give a pretty specific example because I think it means something to the folks who are here in the association. So it used to be that the way that we did electromagnetic uh, defense and attack was we created these vast libraries of parameters. So we would, we would see a electromagnetic wave we would capture it, we'd analyze it, we'd put it in a library, and we could always reference that library. Uh, and and uh, many of our systems would in fact go, we would see something, we would 
compare it to our library and then we would choose the right response. When I was growing up, that's my job inside of a fighter squadron was to program the uh, the equipment using those libraries. And they got updated, you know, maybe once every six months or something like that. What we're going to see in the future is that the change has, has moved and we're going to now have to go so fast in our updates and understanding what kind of, uh, say, for example, electromagnetic pulse is coming at us. And you're not going to be able to use the libraries. That would be too slow. So we're uncomfortable with that, right? Because we spent so much time perfecting how we used libraries. Now we have to think about how do we use cognitive responses to uh, to to those new things that we're seeing and um, and it just means that that some of us have to learn new tricks but you know old dogs can le- learn new tricks and and I think uh, I think that's one of the things that we're really trying to uh, trying to, to say here is that we have such a sense of urgency we know we have to change okay we all can change we, we, we can we can learn new things and we can certainly learn from the young people who are walking around and and uh, and having these great ideas. Yeah, the, the the role of artificial intelligence, machine learning, actually doing a lot of this because they it has to be done in a matter of seconds, if not even quicker than that. You know, and and, and that's yes. that, that's just and, and we just cannot keep pace with the like you said, mentioned the libraries. That's got to be automatically updated the instant that it happens, and and uh, it's a it's a huge obstacle. But so this is it's, it's very interesting for those who have listened to the podcast all week. Uh, I started off on Tuesday with General Wilson, a retired Air Force General Wilson. And we, of course, he was here in 2017, and he announced the launch of this Air Force ECCT. Right. And that led to a couple years of studies, assessments, changes to the Air Force. Had Colonel Dollar Young here uh, later that day. I have you now here. Um, so what, when you talk about change, the Air Force is doing it and has undergone it and is continuing that effort. And it, it, and so I w- wanted to get your perspective on how the Air Force is is addressing this because you've made some uh, a lot of progress and obviously there's still a lot of work to do, but uh, you know, it's been interesting to get the the, the before current and you know, like all, all the different perspectives. I wanna get your, your commentary on, no, on the changes. No, it, it's a great question. Uh, and the, the things that we've been trying to do within the Air Force to in many ways kind of reorient to the change that's happening across the electromagnetic spectrum, really important for us. And so um, uh, Major General Trout Gatica, who I know is here somewhere, uh, was our original leader for that uh, enterprise collaboration, our enterprise capability collaboration team, the ECCT. And he produced a way forward that was really well thought out. And we've been executing that ever since. And I had the the good fortune of being able to help with some of the transition there uh, inside of the staff and inside of the uh, of the Air Force writ large. I'm really excited about the Spectrum Warfare Wing. I, I just think that that is a place and a group of people that have a real potential for changing things. And, and you mentioned uh, Colonel Young. Uh, I just think he's the exact right leader at the exact right time to lead the stand-up of the Spectrum Warfare Wing into the future. And we're really excited about those things. Frankly, what I'm trying to do right now is to get them more resources, to get them more uh, more opportunities, uh, get them some experimentation opportunities. Uh, and uh, like as an example, we had Undersecretary Hsu uh, on day one. So she's leading an experimentation effort across the uh, the services. And one of the things we'd like to be able to do, and I actually think we're, we're having some success with this, 
is get some resources for experimentation in the uh, in the spectrum, and to be able to do battle management in the spectrum, and uh, and I think we're going to do that. I actually think that's going to work, and I'm excited about that. But we're we're walking the journey. We see a lot of that journey happening and unfolding in the classified side, which is really hard because we'd really like to be able to talk about some of these things. But generally what we're seeing is we're using our test infrastructure and our training infrastructure. We're, we're exploring new types of electronic attack and they work. Uh, we're seeing really good um, results in our experimentation. And we're going to need to take those and put those in the hands of the warfighters uh, and I think we can. Uh, and I don't think it's as hard as it sounds. Uh, I think that to a great degree, what we know we have to do is get to the point where software drives our systems, our capabilities. And because software is fairly easy to upgrade. And if we use de uh, DevOps and, and we're able to move forward fast, we can feel very credible capabilities in very rapid time. And I think the Spectrum Warfare Wing's at the very center of that. That's why I think what uh, uh, Colonel Young is doing is so powerful. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, we, we had uh, General Hyten, the Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, speak to us earlier in the year. And uh, he, he said something very interesting when talking about Stratcom, but I think it applies to a lot of what the services are doing uh, and across DOD is he, he was talking about EMSO and Stratcom. He's like, we have to properly resource the responsibilities that we've given to Stratcom. And I think that that's, a, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, we have the Spectrum Warfare Ring. Now it's, now it's about resourcing it because you can give them all the responsibility you want, but without the resources, I'm like, it, it, it. so it's great to see that the, the progress being made there. Um, so, and, and you know, one of the challenges with EMSO I've, we've seen over the years is, is that we tend to learn our lessons episodically. Um, oftentimes in conflict where we're like, oh, wait a second, we didn't prepare for this, or we didn't expect this, you know, thinking, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan with RCIDs and things of that nature, where we've had, we've had such an advantage going in that we've had time to make that up. Now we're talking transformation, great power competition, and how to deter left of launch um, and really the future fight for an EMSO is going to depend on what we do with the training and the testing and experimentation that goes on a lot of that spectrum warfare wing. So right. it's, it's, it's great to see that. Yes. No. So in so many ways, what I hear you saying when you, when you, when you ask that is the, we shouldn't have to wait until we fight to learn the lessons. And one of the things that I think that we see that always has to be invigorated. You can't ever take it for granted. But the idea of fighting the bloodless battles in training, in test, in experimentation, in wargaming, we have to realistically assess where we are versus our worthy rival and learn the lessons in peacetime because the way that it's gonna unfold, more than likely, if we're gonna fight a great power, we're gonna have to have our A game on night one. Uh, and that's just how it's gonna be, they will too. Uh, and whoever brings their A game is gonna be a big beneficiary of that in the first couple of hours and days and weeks of a conflict. So we can't wait until then. And this really puts an, uh, a, a heavy burden on those of us who are thinking about how can we simulate the fight? How can we put ourselves in that future and understand what we need and where, where we are today versus where we have to go and the path that we have to walk to get there? Those are the critical questions that we're asking right now. And being honest, our secretary, uh, Secretary Frank Kendall of the uh, Department of the Air Force, 
has really helped us move forward with this and really challenged us to be very concrete about, okay, you know where, we, where you are, you know generally where you wanna go, what's step one, two, three, and four? Uh, I don't need, necessarily need to know step 12, but I do need to know those first few steps because we gotta get going. And that's the hard part. It is difficult to do, it's not impossible though, and that's what we've gotta do. And uh, I, that, I believe, is the key to not learning from failure in combat, is being able to understand where we are today, where we have to go in the future and walk that path. Yeah, because you you want you need to have that realistic scenario that that that's familiar to the warfighter, and it, it's funny if you if you follow the, the the language of our community over the last twenty years, you know, you talk about the spectrum, and it was first it was congested, and then it was contested, then it's complex, and recently I'm starting to hear the term chaotic, mm. you know, and it's just you can see how how we're beginning to interpret the spectrum is changing, and of course that has that flows into how we prepare those real life, those, those real life scenarios for the warfighters. And, and, uh, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to kind of stay current with that because it's, it, we, we now do have a chaotic environment that we're fighting. I, I actually like the, uh, the word chaotic, you know, in so many ways, warfare has been chaotic from the beginning. Uh, and the, the spectrum is going to be quite chaotic. I actually think, though, that that's where this idea of human-machine teaming comes in. If we can find the ways of doing what the machines do well and then taking advantage of what the humans do well, putting it together, I think we have more opportunity to make sense of the chaos. And I really think that whoever does that better in the competition is very likely to have an advantage in the combat. And, uh, and so that's why we are spending a lot of our thinking uh, uh, focused on what is it that the humans are going to do in this area, in this chaos? What is it that the machines are going to do? Can we bring it together so it's not quite as chaotic? If it's just a little bit less chaotic for us than it is for our opponent, that's an advantage for us. And that's what we want to do. Well, so so one last question. I know your time is short, and I really appreciate you taking you. time to yes. stop by Great here on the way out. Um, leadership, you're 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 a preeminent leader in, in the Air Force. You you're doing a great job. Leadership <laughs> is it, leadership is all about you know not only just getting people pointed in the right direction across the service, across DoD, mm. but then getting that push and mm. and all moving in the right direction. Mm. Um, what are what what is how, how do you see what what is your role in terms of building leadership in the Air Force and can you talk a little bit about this need for mm. the next generation of leaders sure. and and, and to, Sure. I, I'll answer that in a couple of different ways. I, I had to chuckle when you were saying I was doing a great job. Uh, there are some people just, uh, I mean, let's just talk about change, right? Change management's hard. Changing an institution like the Department of Defense is hard. And in so many ways, I see my personal role inside the department as being one of those instigators of change, which sometimes puts me in the uncomfortable position of being out in front or challenging the status quo or calling out the uncomfortable truth. And I do that for the second part of the question, which is for the young people. And I want to put myself out there and I think I've got our team to the point where they want to be the instigators of change. And um, I think it was John Lewis that said at times, sometimes you gotta make good trouble. And, uh, and we see ourselves as making a little bit of good trouble inside the department for the young people, for tomorrow's airmen, so that when they are called to defend the country in their time, they will have what they need, just like we did. So it's a, it's a way of paying it forward, and that's what we wanna do. And that sometimes puts us in the position of, of saying, 
uh, you can't do it the same way. You must change. And I know that's uncomfortable, but it's got to happen. Well, well, thank you. Thank you again so much for joining me. It was great talking to you and uh, look forward to engaging you in the future and maybe getting a little, a few more episodes on the Spectrum Wing and tracking their first year here uh, since the activation here in June. Me too. Thank you so much, Ken. I really appreciate this. Well, that's all the time we have for this morning. Again, I want to thank our episode sponsor, Enritsu, Beyond Testing, Beyond Limits for a Sustainable Future Together. You can learn more about Enritsu at enritsu.com. Thank you for listening. Fast Labs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com/fastlabs.